He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder and corn, founder and manager of CornNation.com, your Nebraska site of hopefulness, especially since today we're talking about the upcoming season opener against the Ohio State Buckeyes. And to do that, I'm talking with my close personal friend, Ramsey Ramsey Nasrallah. Could I screw this up anymore at the beginning? (laughs) It's the first time my name has ever been botched. I I can't believe it took this long in my life to get to a point where someone can pronounce it uh, so seamlessly. I'm we're since we're such close friends, I'm just gonna go with the, the first name, Ramsey. Ramsey is the executive editor of Buckeye's site, 11warriors.com. Uh, wow. We'll begin. Some guy in the White House claims that he brought back Big Ten football. Nebraska fans believe that Scott Frost in Nebraska brought, brought back Big Ten football. I'm sure Ohio State fans believe that Ryan Day and the Buckeyes brought back Big Ten f- football. So uh, who, who brought back Big Ten football? I think uh, antigen testing and process that should have been ironed out as one of the uh, disaster scenarios sometime in April, May, June, July brought back uh, Big Ten football. I think uh, they did it under a fire drill when they realized that crossing their fingers and hoping that uh, COVID would just kind of go away. When that didn't materialize, they had to spring into action and, and you know, it took them a month to do something that probably would have taken three in terms of scenarios. There should have been a path for, hey, the virus does end up dying out on its own. One where the, the virus is still a threat, but a small one that requires some degree of mitigation. And then what we have now where there are still 700 to 1100 people dying daily from this uh, and, and people in large groups who breathe heavily when they are uh, smashing into each other, th- that requires a different degree of m- mitigation. And so what ultimately happened between the ham-fisted cancellation of the season and when it was brought back was a whole bunch of meetings, procedure, external pressures, and ultimately um, healthcare experts coming together to say, this is how we can do this in a manner that prevents uh, each one of these uh, football games from being a super spreader event. You, you sound like you actually know what's going on with all of this instead of just like, masks. Hey, what the I hell? I mean, I know her masks and uh, hoax that does, that does much better numbers. But uh, when, when I'm not obsessing over this ridiculous sport of teenage gladiators smashing into each other, I, I work in healthcare. So actually one degree further, I work in infection prevention, so just a little little bit of uh, insight into how these things are contained, mitigated, and uh, ultimately measured so that we can get out of them. They're going to happen throughout human history as long as we're allowed to stay on this uh, little marble. I could go somewhere with that, but we're going to go back to football. <laughs> Sounds good. Because, because I have been talking about COVID for months. I've interviewed an epidemiologist, a coronavirus researcher who was researching it before it actually was cool. Uh, Biomechanics, I've interviewed all, my last interview was with my neurosurgeon about CTE. 
this one, let's just focus on football because we're going to have football, right? Uh, we are going to attempt to have football. I think we will have football, yes. Okay. All right. And we're going to talk about the Ohio State Buckeyes. Urban Meyer said you guys have like 11 NFL players on offense. Is he exaggerating? 11? Um, yes, he's – He's with his his uh, margin of error is maybe one. <laughs> that's that's. Don't you think that's a little unfair? It's it's like wage inequality. Un- unfair to whom? <laughs> to everyone else except you. I, I'm I mean I'm okay with it. Uh, the <laughs> the idea that uh, Urban brought to what was already a pretty good program when and we won't count the 2011 self nuke year, but. It was already a pretty strong program, but he only wanted to recruit guys that were going to get drafted on the first day uh, in terms of talent. Now there's other bit of variable uh, evaluation that goes into the, the kind of guy that comes on. They've, they've walked away from a, you know, some five-star talent. It's, it's, the com- it's, you know, it's so silly. The combination of, of talent and culture and uh, coachability. So who, you know, do you, does, did Urban Meyer want to coach a certain guy mattered when they were recruiting people. And at the same time, you know, Brian Day, I think, subscribes to that as well, having spent some time in the NFL. And it comes back to bite you on rare occasions when you have someone like Antoine Winfield Jr. doesn't really hit the measurables that someone like Urban Meyer would want. And uh, you pass on a guy that's the current NFL rookie of the class who was uh, a game changer, a program changer at Minnesota. And I'm not obsessed or upset about it. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I, we could go into that, too, because uh, I think they're going to struggle a little bit. I think that one guy missing on their defense is going to hurt Minnesota quite a bit. But that's not your program. Yeah, I'll bug the Minnesota guys about that. Uh, <laughs> Justin Fields, is Part he the best quarterback in college football? Um, yeah, I think he's uh, – I think he and Trevor Lawrence are 1A and 1B. The, uh, when they faced off against each other in, in the Fiesta Bowl, if you get rid of all the other noise from that game, you saw a couple of guys that just really um, were like generational talents leading their teams back and forth. I couldn't believe that Lawrence moved as well as he did. He reads the field well. He's got uh, the size. He's got the arm. Uh, obviously, he's got some help around him. But um, those guys – it reminds me of – and I mean, we have hindsight now, but it reminds me of the whole Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning – a debate from a little over 20 years ago. They both collegiate, like they had every bit of the, the measurable that, that you would want. I don't, I hope neither of them get the Ryan Leaf uh, legacy, but those guys are going to be uh, quite wealthy for a long time playing the sport that hopefully we'll be able to get to see Justin Fields play uh, next, oh, this month. My gosh, it's October. You know, let's take a sidetrack on that. I mean, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, they both speak well. I, you know, Peyton Manning, I think, obviously over the years, he's become, you know, the commercials and the, the funny guy and stuff like that. Our quarterbacks and our college football players now are much more, they seem much more articulate than they've ever been. Do you, do you there, find that also? Yeah, I think that there's a, there's an element of them being groomed for media, which doesn't stop. Um, when, when Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf were playing, there was no YouTube. There was, I think there was Friendster. Napster hadn't been invented yet. So when you said something on TV, if you weren't, if you weren't recording it onto a VHS tape, it kind of went away or it was read in print. Now, uh, when you fumble, it's forever. 
And that's something that programs have, to their credit, trying to accommodate for, and they use it as a recruiting tool. Look, Ohio State is very good at that. They're like, look, if you come here, this is a this is a business decision for you. We become a marketing agency for your brand. By the way, you need to develop a brand, which means you need to be able to complete a sentence without spitting all over yourself when someone with a microphone is talking to you. So yeah, I, I think that's the case. I also think that they're both exceptional people. And, and uh, I, by the way, they're, they're from like 10 minutes away from each other in, in Georgia. Um, so they, they came from the same spot. That seems unfair too, man. Right. Uh, Ohio State's starting running back, Trey Sermon, is from there too. So you've got a couple, okay. specifically a, like a district backfield in Columbus now. Let's go back to the offense. I mean, you guys have you guys have everybody. Are there any holes or any weaknesses whatsoever on the offensive side of the ball? No. <laughs> they have no weaknesses on the offensive side of the ball. They don't have play calling weaknesses. They don't have offensive line weaknesses. They could use uh, maybe one more healthy body in the uh, – backfield from a running back standpoint because they are dealing with uh, master t has has an injury which really helped create urgency behind getting trey sermon as a grad transfer marcus crowley got an injury last year um other than that no they, they have no weaknesses offensively at all so how many points a game do you expect them to score i think they'll in last september which included the game with nebraska which is an espn college game day game if memory serves uh, the Buckeyes yeah. won September, which had five Saturdays, by an average score of 49 to 9. I think that the wild card this year is the lack of a spring training period, no spring game, COVID, which everyone deals with. But um, I, I think you'll, you'll see Ohio State uh, comfortably north of 30 points a game in Big Ten play in the sprints that they have. It also depends on, uh, I mean, there's a lot of self-preservation that's going to go into this, especially with such a sprint. When are you going to pull the starters out and give uh, the depth a chance to stretch its legs? I mean, there are games that the Buckeyes could have gone into, eight, this is going to sound so arrogant, into the 80s and 90s, but right. they, they, put it up, they put the guys that I've been talking about that you brought up with Justin Fields on the bench. I, I don't think that uh, Chris Chuganoff is going to score 49 points a game. He came in and just sort of held serve. Um it, it, it really depends. That all, I don't think Ohio State's going to have trouble scoring points at all. Yeah, one of those games they could have scored 80 points less against Nebraska last year. Thanks for bringing up the college game day debacle. But, uh, the baby step. You know, Nebraska's going to come back. First, got to get you know, Kirk and Corso and um, Reese Davis on your campus. It's not going to happen to anyone's campus this year, but uh, or you know, in, in the same traditional way. But, yeah, it's – it's not just having the guys and the, the, the coaches. It's having the hype and the, and the belief. And Nebraska took a big step for that last year. You think so? I do. I don't think that you're going to get back to, like, 94 levels. But uh, that's a high bar to clear. You can get back to 93 levels without hitting your coach. I think pretty you, – you've got the guy that you like already. Um, so it, it, we have, we're an instant gratification society. Nebraska is not the same – um, well, college football, I should say, is not the same as it was in, in Nebraska's 90s heyday. So uh, accommodating for environmental circumstances, I think the ceiling is double-digit wins. I don't think you're going to be world beaters. It's very difficult to do that. 
Um, there are only a few schools programs that are capable of doing it or allow themselves to do it. Right. I would, I, you know, Nebraska's focused so heavily on, on the old days and the nineties and stuff like that. And I went to school in the eighties cause I'm old and crusty and even the eighties were full of, you know, ass kicking. Uh, really great teams, didn't win a national title in any season, but had, you know, the go for two team in 83 that should have. Uh, that was a weird, weird I, call. It's a tough call, a tough uh, play to make two yards on. I, I wonder sometimes if we're to the point that we're going to accept the fact that, you know, maybe eight, eight wins will be a good season. We beat up Iowa so much about how average they are, even when they're really – actually pretty decent, but uh, it's a constant question in the back of my mind of where we're going and where we're going to get back to and what, what ce- the ceiling actually is as you, if you, as you brought up. Yeah. Um, There's a few things in there, though, also. I always had pretty much the same identity since 1979. Um, the coach changed once. They play the same kind of football. They get the same, same kind of athlete. Uh, they wore the same kind of uniforms. Uh, I think about Nebraska, the transition from uh, old guard Callahan into Solich into, I won't mention his name, but uh, there, was a, there was a brief foray to the spread. Your listeners follow Nebraska football. There was a brief uniform shift. Um, and then just from a cultural standpoint, it, it gets, it's a bit of a muddled story. Even when Ohio State went from Woody Hayes to Earl Bruce to John Cooper to, to Jim Trestle, the style of football is still, you know, punch someone in the mouth football. When Urban Meyer came and people freaked out about, oh, they're going to be a spread team. They were a power spread team. They were spreading the field out and doing the same. Oh, Carlos Hyde, Zeke Elliott. It was the same sort of thing, but different formations. And once the crusty types like yourself put in Columbus uh, realized that, they were like, okay, this isn't, we're we're not losing our identity. We're not, we're not having a complete uh, abdication of what Ohio State football means. Uh, Whereas Nebraska had a bit of an identity crisis. And I think it's, now coming back, uh, but that, you know, scabs, it, they, you can see them for a while before they fade. And um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. This is the bottom of Nebraska football right now. This is a postseason drought. Those don't exist in Lincoln. You think football. it is? <laughs> you, you've hit the bottom, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so right now I'm waking up out of the ditch, hungover as hell. <laughs> That's pretty much the case. I just uh, you wish you had a better opponent to – to start the season with by better. I don't mean more talented. I mean a better one for Nebraska. Uh, We're going to, we'll come back to that question, but let's, let's go to the defense. You guys have to replace seven starters. Yeah. Including seven of last year's top 10 tacklers. Any holes, any, any weaknesses on the defense? Plenty of weaknesses on the defense and weakness has an asterisk because you just don't know. Um, You've seen guys coming off the bench in, in mop-up time for players that are in the NFL. Jordan Fuller, really good NFL safety right now. Damon Arnett's hurt, but also very solid. Jeff Okuda, third pick in the draft. Replacing those guys with guys who've only come in in garbage time. I mean, they've, they've done all the reps. You just don't know what's going to happen when they're going against another team's ones. So the coaching is great. The players are unproven. There's a huge amount of new guys on that side of the ball. So it's a different story from the offense. The offense, I think, is it's just going to be elite. The defense could be elite. We don't know yet. So how, how big is the return of Sean Wade? It's huge. He's a lockdown corner. He, he could be playing in the NFL right now. 
Is it? Is <laughs> we'll go back to Anton Winfield. Is it he? Is he to Ohio State's defense what Winfield was to Minnesota's defense last season? Um, it's a really good question. I, I don't, uh, and, and I'm also should recuse myself because I have Antoine senior memories that probably cloud <laughs> my judgment of junior. Uh, Sean Wade is elite. Um, Antoine Winfield was generational at Ohio State just because he's like maybe five ten on <laughs> with lifts. So you, you get a lot more like, wow, that's the – I mean, Antoine Winfield Sr. pound for pound is the best Ohio State football player I've ever seen uh, in, in my life of watching them just because of the law of small numbers. <laughs> he shouldn't have been as good as he was. Sean Wade is, uh, came out of a factory. Um, physically, he's what you want. For, from a performance standpoint, he just kills it. Now that Fiesta Bowl against Clemson turned on he got ejected. And I think part of that was emotional, but also part of it was uh, from a personnel uh, standpoint, you, you lost Sean Wade. He went to take a form tackle and Trevor Lawrence kind of ducked and turned it into a targeting penalty. That shows you how important he is on the field. Now he's, he's great. He's going to line up on the other side. What's the safety situation look like? How do you replace Malik Harrison? who was a, the biggest freak on that defense last year, not named Chase Young. How do you get that one pain in the ass rush end? to replace Chase Young, that's, there's questions there. Nothing but talent, but, you know, you're, you're only as good as what you've actually shown on the field. We haven't seen it yet. Anything else about the defense I haven't asked? I think Jonathan Cooper being there, coming back for a fifth year. He played he, – he had to choose one game to play in, whether it was the playoff – actually, not, not one game, but he, he chose to play in the Michigan game instead of playing in the Big Ten Championship or in the postseason just so he would be eligible to come back this year. That's a, that's a heady senior type guy. He was also you know, really talented, just not you know, Chase Young because not many people are. That uh, helps shore up some of the newness on that side of the ball, along with uh, Tough Borland and, and Pete Werner. There's there some really veteran guys there. They're going to be playing with some non-veteran guys. So if they can gel, I'd say really quickly because it's a sprint season, yeah, they're, they're going to be okay. So going back to the <laughs> – you said earlier you wish Nebraska had a different opponent to start the season with. I mean, what was your reaction when you saw the schedule? I mean, I chuckled like anyone else. Like, because you, you saw – I mean, I, I know my tribe. I know what it's like being from Ohio. I know what Ohio State fans are like. I mean, a lot of them get upset with me when I am, am, am pointed with criticism because it's very difficult when, when you're dealing with affairs of the heart like this when you say something like, wow, the, you know, the pass defense could use some help or the offensive, the play calling, it, it, you confuse critique with um, hate. Like, why do you hate this team so much? I don't hate them. <laughs> um, I'm not state media. I tell you that everything is fine. Um, the, when I saw that Ohio State and Nebraska were, were leading off against each other, first it was, <laughs> I mean, this, hopefully this kind of year will never happen again. It's the third opening opponent of the season that they've had. They were going to open with Bowling Green before they were going to go out to Eugene, Oregon. Then they were going to open at Illinois on a Thursday night, and uh, now they're opening at home against Nebraska. It's all happened within the course of a couple months, it's just all over the place. I mean, it's, it's a neat traditional rival matchup, um, but from a personnel standpoint – you know, Nebraska could have used a, a different opening opponent. I think Ohio State's going to come out with the kind of energy and talent and execution that, that you just don't want to have under these circumstances if you're the opponent. 
So you, you, you don't see a Kansas State, Oklahoma happening here. I really don't. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I have art issues, and you're not helping. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love J.D. Spielman. Um, I don't know who from Nebraska's side is going to be able to cover Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or contain Justin Fields uh, who can run, but also give it to any one of a, a couple of backs. They've got great tight ends. Uh, the offensive line is solid <laughs> They're there. What, if you can hold Ohio state to a field goal or obviously not going to score in every drive of the season, but that's a big deal stopping them from, from moving the ball down the field. They, I mean, that is a machine. You need to score every time you get the ball against Ohio state. Right. So minimize mistakes. You don't see anything. You don't see anything happening like the uh, Kirk Ferentz saved his game plan for 25 years for one game. Which he did in 2017, and it was masterful. Um, Yeah. But, uh, well, they have different defensive coaches now. That was – don't make me talk about that that season. Don't make me talk about that season. (laughs) This so is the problem with being an Ohio State fan, like you remember the losses more than the wins because there's like one a year that you have to right. deal with, and so it sticks. I, I remember how that used to go. <laughs> it was it was really fun, and you you kind of just went, well, this will go on forever because pretty much Tom Osborne assured that it it did kind of go on forever for a very right. long time, and then when it ended, we're all like, oh my god, what is this? <laughs> why am I why am I in this ditch? Yeah. That's happened with wake uh, up one day and you're like, shit. <laughs> where do we go from here? That, that's, that's happened with the Ohio State fans when, when Woody Hayes got himself fired. Um, not so much with Earl Bruce. People were ready to, to get to – and no one wanted to be the coach to follow Woody. To quote Lou, Lou Holtz, he wanted to be the coach to follow the coach who followed Woody. Right. But yep. with, with Coop and with Trestle and, and with Urban, there's a bit of anxiety. Like, what, what happens now? Do we lose? Do we lose this golden era? Like, no, the golden era has been the entire millennium thus far for Ohio State. I mean, their worst seasons were either self like the, the 2011 nuke, self nuke, which you know, kind of a, a pause. Uh, even 2004, they they beat the hell out of Michigan, and that's all just about anyone cares about with Ohio State. That was their down year. They they beat the Big Ten champions like like a drum. And then uh, won six straight uh, titles back when you could share them. So you, you don't see any fall off from Ryan Day whatsoever. I mean, even in the next three, four years, this is just something that's going to keep going and going and going. I think Ryan Day brings the best elements of what Urban Meyer brings to the program, and uh, uses some concealer for for some of the pimples that he brought. Um, it became it, Urban Meyer's program is a bit of a cutthroat. Like you know what you're signing up for. And uh, you can either become one of his favorite people, one of the best guys I've ever been around, or you can just be a stranger in that facility if you're not at a certain level. And I think about like Jack Welch, GE, punting 10% of the workforce, just constantly getting rid of the bottom 10%. The bottom 10% in that program, it's not the bottom 10% in every other program. So it ends up, um, I mean, it's if you still subscribe to amateurism, which I don't really, but they are college kids. I think that Brian Day does a better job of taking care of all 85 scholarship guys than Urban Meyer did. And that's not because Urban Meyer was trying to be mean. That's how he, that's how he wired his program to be. 
Ryan days is a little bit different. They, they go by like a mantra of tough love. So it's, you're still part of the family. You just need to contribute and do, do your job, do the best of your ability. Cause not every guy pans out. Um, it, it's, it's a different sort of spirit there. And um, I think it's with one season and then three games during urban suspension in 2018 in the books. Yeah. I, I, I signed up for this. This is good. I like this. So prediction, well, let's go with a prediction for the Nebraska game, even though it's probably going to be painful. Um, I think uh, it'll be a, a typical Ohio State opener where they're sort of figuring stuff out. They're not going to come out with the entire playbook. Um, I think about last year, they opened with FAU. It was 21 to nothing uh, before you sat down. And I think the final score was like 49-21. Like people were upset that FAU was scoring. They had a tight end no one from Ohio State was prepared for or could cover, who now plays for the Browns. Um, I think you'll see Ryan Day's very measured approach to coming out, winning the surest way. And uh, Nebraska is going to have some scores and some opportunities to get in the end zone. I don't know what it's going to be like playing in a cavernous, empty horseshoe. Yeah. Because not even the spring games are like that in, in normal right. years. Um, but I, I would I would expect a 49-21 opening score, which is not – I mean, you're not a bug on a windshield by any stretch. And at the same time, there's what, – what, what's the benefit of style points in that, in that game? And Nebraska has talent and good coaching. So – Well, I, I, I think that the – Everybody looks at Ohio State and says, we have a, a shortened season. Ohio State's going to try to score as many points as possible. So they assure themselves a spot in the college football playoff as if there's, as if there's some kind of, I don't know, thing where the college football playoff committee would go, oh, not you guys, not you guys that have this 11 players on, 11 NFL players on offense. You can't be in this. You only played eight games or something, you know what I mean? And won them all decisively. I don't think there's any, any value in uh, style points in the first week of the season. No one's going to be at the end of the year being like, oh, well, how, they didn't have a big enough margin against Nebraska in week one. It's always that tail end how you finish. Ohio State got into the 24 the 2014 uh, playoff, not because they eked out wins against uh, Indiana and Michigan, because they beat Wisconsin 59 nothing in the Big Ten championship game with a third-string quarterback. And that mattered a lot more than the way they beat Navy or Cincinnati that year, or even how they lost to Virginia Tech. So the way that they, if they're able to beat Nebraska, is going to mean a lot less than the way that they beat Michigan State and Michigan at the end of the season. And then ultimately, if they get to Indy again for the fourth year in a row, how they win that game. I know there's a lot of Nebraskans who are looking at this game and going, okay, why do we have to play? First of all, there's this undercurrent of whining, of why are we playing Ohio State every season? There's this other thing about why do we have to do this? And I kind of look at it and go, you know, we're getting you guys in the first game with a whole bunch of new guys. And we're going to right off the bat determine, you know, who wants to play football really under – pretty difficult circumstances and and kind of who doesn't and I think that that is a great opportunity for Nebraska uh, despite what a score may show you know maybe it'll show that we're not ready to take the next step or maybe it will show that we're ready I think that you, you have to rise up and meet those challenges uh, yeah, I, you know, I mean, from, uh, everyone waits for the first game of the season so that's where I think it's it's it kind of sucks for Nebraska fans that that's what you start out with 
But when you realize that time doesn't stop or stand still after the first week, Nebraska's not going to play a better team for the rest of the schedule. They've seen what that – they'll see what that looks like, and then the next seven, um, they'll know what they have to do. And I think that'll be a benefit. So I don't think seven and one's out of the, equa- out of the realm of possibilities. I think Micah Parsons not coming back for Penn State is a huge deal, especially for an offense like the one uh, Nebraska runs. Um, the right now at the beginning of October, it's scary, but by the middle of uh, November, and then it's weird to say by the middle of December, when they're still playing regular season football, uh, you will see a journey that the, the Huskers went on that began with, and the, the, it's a, it's a bad lottery. There's a one in 13 chance of opening with Ohio state and Nebraska won. So there I'm I'm honestly for it I I looked at it initially and everybody was going well this is the Big Ten sticking it to us and I thought you know this it's the same schedule it's just yeah they were playing either way yeah it was gonna happen one way or another I'd rather we get you first and know who we are and where we're gonna go from there than get this get this Buckeye team that's had a few games underneath its belt and is you know, a steamroller, train, locomotive, use all the big adjectives to describe something unstoppable. Uh, Do you think the empty stadium, I mean, you think that affects anybody? I mean, one of our coaches said, we're going to have to bring our own juice. Does he affect on teams? I uh, I have a Browns podcast that we talk about who benefits and who loses from playing in empty stadiums. And it's the Showtime guys. And you hear this all the time with in Ohio State circles. Players choose Ohio State to play in big games, big crowds. And I mean, not that Nebraska players aren't the same way, but it is you want that spotlight and you feed off that juice and having to bring your own juice. I, I buy into it to a degree. And the crowd, by, by saying that it's not going to matter, you're saying that crowds are irrelevant. And, you know, there are some tough places to play in the Big Ten. In the Buckeyes week two, after they finished with Nebraska, they go to State College. That would have been the wideout game this year. Right. It's going to be a little different. Um, that, you know, Ohio State does really well in wideout games because I think they feed off of it. They are a program that likes to play in – I don't think that there's any environment that would be, like, negatively intimidating. They love that stuff. Um, so – in a weird way, I think that the lack of ambiance negatively impacts Ohio State, whether it's in the horseshoe or elsewhere. Wow. Are you, are you going to – do you think you'll be able to get to any games, any media credentials or anything? Uh, we're credentialed, but our beat guys will go. Our photographer will go, if, depending on who's allowed in there. Um, right. I prefer to be amongst the unwashed masses, which this year not not really happening we're all unwashed and contagious. So uh, I'll probably keep my distance. We'll see. Um, Fortunately, bourbon's an antiseptic. I should be pretty well protected. Yeah, I've had to, uh, I've had to quarantine three times now. And as if you notice, I have built myself basically what is a dorm room. (laughs) Very nice. Never graduate, man. It's a philosophy. (laughs) I, I try, but I keep, you know, it's, I'm not, I dye my hair gray actually. Is what I do. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else about Ohio State, the Big Ten, Kevin Warren? Can he? Should he continue as commissioner? Um, 
Man, it's just a mixed bag. On one side, it's he's he took a lot of the the brunt of the justified criticism because he's the commissioner. On the on the other side, I mean, I, I lead I lead a, I've led organizations in my career, and from a crisis management standpoint, it's not just being right. It's not just uh, being uh, empathetic and, and diagnosing an issue and not panicking. It's how you communicate to your stakeholders, right. and he just absolutely failed out loud. Just even on state TV, even on big 10 network, like, how do you, how do you lose on big 10 network? They, they <laughs> tell you the question you're going to be asked. Um, you should be prepared to not come across as if you're panicking um, and not have a, a, a transparent answer that you can put together and say, Hey, there's a thought process here. We knew that ex post facto would be able to look back and see what they did. And ultimately they probably made the right decision. My question, my lingering question is what were you doing when from, from mid-March when they canceled the NCAA tournament to August 5th when they came out with a schedule that they abruptly pulled the rug out from under six days later? The timing uh, is misaligned to the idea that there were any adults in the room that were putting together a plan for how to move forward in case of best case, worst case, probable case scenarios with this virus. And it's like they got to... August 5th, like, well, I think we're okay. And then the sun came up and went down a couple of times. They're like, well, no, we have to, we have to shut it all down. They just, every bit of that cadence uh, has poop on it. And they did it themselves. <laughs> Kevin, and Kevin Warren, you know, you want that desk and that salary, and that position, that title. Dude, you got to own it. And he sucked out loud. I think his, his credibility is, is, it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, he's going to have to do something amazing to recover from this, but. Uh, I, I try to think he, not. He, he had a year in the incubator to learn from Delaney and then gets thrust into this. But at the same time, he, there's no new guy. And he was there. He was there for a year. He got to, he, he knew everybody. He didn't get to play that card. Just, you know, that was a lost summer. I'm going to propose this to you. I use Ohio state as an example but Ohio State as a university has a revenue of around $7 billion a year. Their athletic department is what, $150 million? Um, I think it's closer to $200 million. I haven't, I haven't looked okay. recently. It, it's minuscule by comparison. Right. If, do you think that there's anything there that the president said, screw athletics, we're not even going to worry about it for right now? That just, Or is that my paranoia conspiracy theory Alex Jones wannabe position. No, I, I think I understand the the perspective you're bringing. You're bringing um, a spreadsheet, uh, a very sterile financial analysis uh, perspective of it. When you look at the, the football department as the marketing department, it's a little bit different. So it's not just the what populates the sales in the uh, balance sheet and the revenues. It's how you're promoting your brand. And Ohio State is known globally in large part because of the football team, the biggest money maker on that campus is the best view of the stadium. It's the hospitals that are continuing <laughs> uh, to, to expand and build and, and bring new construction to that part of campus. And they're trying to make this, a, you know, and they've been successful in making it a, a major medical hub. But uh, the football department's the tip of the spear, or the football department, the football team is the tip of the spear from a visibility standpoint. Their applications are through the roof, not because of all, all the expansion work that the medical center is doing. It's because the tip of the spear creates a wider berth for everything Ohio State's trying to become. That's a good point. I'll relax a little bit. 
Not that much, though. I still am going to keep my theme about Kevin Warren disappearing into his bathroom and not coming out. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I, I, you know, I've had to deal with crisis in my own day job, my my own organization, not not eleven words this year, and it's hard as hell. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's it's, it's hard as hell. But God, you got to do better than he did. Yeah, especially when right. you're at that level. Yeah, you can't just be right. You have to do it in the right way, and you have to bring people along at the, at the right uh, at the right uh, pace. And ultimately, you can't come across as someone who looks like they're hiding information because when you do that, when you are trying to insulate people from bad news, they will create that vacuum with worse news. And yeah. that's what ends up being acted upon. And that's how you create a chaotic environment. It's the lack of transparency. Just be transparent enough. Not overly transparent. He failed on all accounts. Yeah. We're going to end there unless you got anything else to add. I mean, unless you want to talk about Ohio State's offense again. We're, we're good ending here. <laughs> okay in the meantime good luck with your season mostly likewise i you know i do i i will think of one more thing how much joy do you get in the fact that there's like way more rehab going on in michigan right now and probably will be for the foreseeable future i um, they, they were, Michigan was a very big part of, uh, the trauma of my childhood and of college and of, uh, post-college since I was at, I was at Ohio State while Kirk Herbstreit was there. Um, yeah, it's, if I want to go tell my younger self that it was all worthwhile. So yeah, I, I think that the penance should continue to be paid. I also believe in pendulums and, uh, the equilibrium, uh, of nature. So you can't get too, com- too comfortable or arrogant about it and making sure that uh, there are different types of measuring sticks. You know, Ohio State competes with Clemson and Alabama. You can't take your, side, you can't take your eyes off the Big Ten for Michigan because if you expose your flank, then you don't get the chance to lose to Clemson for a fourth time or whatever and get to play Alabama again. Um, and it just, you know, that, that's a one game. That, that is one game you think about every single day. So no matter how much they run up the score, you never want to let that go. And you can't uh, take it for granted. Yeah, I, I think many, it's great. How many days has it been since Michigan football won a football game against the Ohio State Buckeyes? I, I don't keep up with the count. I think it's in the 3,000s, but it's November of 2011. And if Braxton Miller doesn't overthrow Debbie Garposey, we're going back to 2004. We're going back to Hannah Montana and standard definition TV. Um, And that's, you know, (laughs) the 2011 (laughs) game sticks out because it's the one they've lost since 2004 and it shouldn't have happened. Now I'm mad about it again. (laughs) Okay, we'll end there. We'll end with that. And uh, this has been John's Post-Life Crisis talking about Ohio State football with Ramsey Nazarella of 11 Warriors. I finished without butchering it, right? Yeah, you're good, man.